I just want to start off. I want to just tell you how incredibly proud I am. You guys don't get to see yourselves like from my viewpoint. I get to kind of look at you and watch you. And um, so there's lots of times I'm proud of you. Friday night, I was so extremely proud of you as a church. Um, not only did we have this great outreach event, we figure probably total uh, somewhere between nine, 900 and 1,000 people uh, came through. Um, but last year, yeah, you can give yourself a hand for that. Yeah, absolutely. Last year, you know, we had uh, a lot of you get into the cars, but we, we probably had eight or nine cars, ten cars that didn't do anything decor-wise. I was one of them. Um, and this year, like, I mean, literally just about every single car was, was decked out. Some of you went to crazy extents in your, your decoration. Um, in fact, I thought, wow, we can't just give away two awards. We have to give away more awards next time because there's just some, I mean, the yellow brick road at the, the Arnold's car. I mean, that was, that was just too good not to get an award. Uh, and, and so I'm just, I'm, so I'm proud of you for that. I mean, the costumes, um, and some of you, I know how proud you were of your costume. You came up and said, I made this from home, and it was uh, pretty amazing. Um, but I want to tell you why I'm really proud of you. Because I know some of you on Friday night, you changed your whole Halloween tradition, and you came here for an outrage. And I don't know what you normally do. It could have been bigger and grander than what we did on Friday night. I don't know. There could have been fireworks where you normally go. I have no idea what you normally do. But you chose to come here and to do an outreach to our community. And a neighbor asked me afterwards, uh, what, as we went and knocked on their door about 9.15, trick-or-treating, uh, a neighbor asked me uh, about the event, and I said, you know what really made me excited about the event? It was looking around and seeing people that we were serving and we were doing something for who were excited, they were happy, and we didn't even know who they were. We, didn't even know, we may not see them again. But we're called to do that. And it was just, I was just so proud of you, and I appreciate that. I also was incredibly proud of how many of you stayed and helped clean up, and I appreciate that. Uh, that was tremendous. So I know you enjoyed it if you stayed and even helped clean up. So that was pretty awesome. Hey, it's going to be a, a shorter message today. I really wanted to make sure you heard Marty share, um, and then um, our chairman of the board has a presentation he wants to do at the end. Um, we're doing a lot up in Maiden with Lot 2540. Listen, guys, um, we're not doing enough. We can do more. As a collective body of Christ, we can do more. So I really hope you'll take advantage of these boxes and, uh, and serve in it. And then whatever God just like lays on your heart, don't ignore it. Just go do it. And if Lot 25 is in that path of what God's telling you to do, then get on board, get obedient, and go do that. I think it'll be phenomenal what, what happens for the kingdom. I've had a traumatic week. I'm telling you, okay? I, I had like three traumatic things over the course of this week. Um, it started last Sunday morning, about 20 minutes before service. I was back here in one of the uh, back restroom facilities. And I, I actually had to stick my head out and ask one of our worship, you better go get my wife. I'm not feeling very well. And my wife came back to me and... and um, and in a very loving fashion, she said, I, I don't know what to tell you. 
was her way of saying suck it up. Um, no, but she prayed over me, and literally it, it kind of went away, the, the stomach mess, and I was able to preach. And then I went home and I laid down for about three days. Uh, and it just, you know, it's cold and sickness and nausea and just, it was a bunch of junk. Um, and so that was number one. Um, three, dramatic things. No, that's three. Um, dramatic things. So that was number one. And then Tuesday, uh, excuse me, Wednesday morning, 4.30 in the morning, I woke up with incredible abdominal pain. I mean, I was whining and crying and whatever. Um, and I uh, ended up taking a little ER trip. I drove myself to the ER, which is a nice, fun little drive. Um, and uh, checked myself in, and I found out I had a kidney stone that I needed to pass. And, and the guy, when the guy says, yeah, you got a decent-sized kidney stone, he doesn't mean decent size. He means, you know, you got a boulder you need to push out. So he, I was there for a little while, and they sent me home with medication and basically saying, hey, you know, have fun, get it passed. And uh, that was my lot for the rest uh, of the week. And I've gone in and out, if you've ever had kidney stones, you're in and out of, of like very painful to feeling just fine back and forth for the next couple of days. So that was just like number two on the week. And, and so just like three dramatic things that, that happened over the course of the week. I know you're asking, well, what, what is the third thing uh, that happened? Well, Thursday afternoon, I had to make a little trip to pick something up. And... Yep. This is um, this is the third traumatic thing in my life this week. Um, I thought one and two were bad, but uh, as I sat in front of my ophthalmologist, is that correct? I don't know. Young lady, and and she said, uh, "Well, this is just what happens when you get older." And, I said, look, I think you're great at your profession, you know, you're sharp, you're, we're going to work on bedside manner. Uh, so anyhow, this is the addition. So now when I look down at my text, I can actually read the text to you instead of guessing on some words, which I've been doing for a few months. Um, if you've got your Bible, Exodus chapter 20, verse 13, I'm very confident that that's where my Bible is open to. Let's take a look. We're walking through this series called Ten. We're talking about the Ten Commandments. And we've been walking through it. This is our sixth week that we've hit on this and this topic of the Ten Commandments. And as we've looked at this, basically we've asked, number one, is it relevant to us today? Why is it in there in the first place? And then uh, what, what really is meant by some of the words that are used? And so this morning, we're talking about the Sixth Commandment, and it is simply this. You find it in your notes, Exodus 20, 13, you must not murder. So I thought we'd start out this way. How many of you are struggling today with murder? Well, maybe you've already committed murder. Maybe you're on a spree right now. Um, yeah, okay. So some of you, you would want to perk up and stay attentive to the rest. For those of you who are, um, have or are contemplating, um, let me just simply say in this message, don't. Don't do it. Don't. It's, it's not good. We're going to look at this commandment anyway, because I would guess for most people, as they were reading through a list of Ten Commandments, when they would hit this one, it's like, you don't, you don't even read it. You just flip on to the next one. You know, I'm murdered, okay, I don't have a problem with that. And you go on, and you read through these. Why? Why is this really in there? Why is it God wanted to make sure, when he looked at his people, and he was creating culture, that he said, don't murder? 
duh, God. I mean, we, we know that. Every culture kind of values that, not to kill each other. Why would God say, I'm setting up culture for my people. Remember, a million people just left slavery in Egypt, and now they're wandering through the wilderness. They don't really have culture on their own from hundreds of years of slavery. And God is creating this through the law. Why would he have to add murder? Or is that just a common sense thing? Here's the first thing I want you to look at if you've got your notes. If you, don't, if you didn't happen to grab notes on your way in, just slip up your hand and Richard will run them through. So sometimes like I find out who and I place you guys in all four quadrants just so I can really make Richard work. So it's fun. He's not smiling. You must not murder. So here's the first blank. Don't kill human life. Duh, Tom, why we, we, we're in it. You just said that. No, this is important. Don't kill human life. What God is saying here, and it's very important that we understand this, is when you look at another human being, don't kill that human being. He's not talking about animals here. He's not talking about every living creature. Now before, if you really, really love animals a lot, before you say, oh, Tom is saying we can kill animals. Not what I'm saying at all. I'm trying to make sure we understand what God's Word is saying. You see, when we were looking at the first couple of commandments and we talked about, know the gods before me, don't make yourself an idol, don't misuse God's name, keep the Sabbath holy, we were talking more about this vertical relationship with God. And it sets this foundation for this horizontal relationship with other people. And so it's clear that God is talking in the Ten Commandments about not killing humans. Don't kill each other. Why is that important that he's saying that? Because in the Ten Commandments here, and he'll continue throughout the law, if you're really excited about reading it, read, uh, read just Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, just read them all, and get the whole totality of the law, not the easiest reading, but you'll understand person-to-person relationship is incredibly important to God. Incredibly important. And I think there's three levels of it. There is over here where you're like super kind and serve other people and care for other people. There's over here where you're like brutal to other people and terrible to other people. Murder would probably fit over in this camp. And then there's this in-between. And I don't know how big this gap is in between, but there's this in-between where we just kind of ignore other people. We just kind of ignore what we could do for them or what God has called us to maybe be a part of in their life. But if you read the law, you're going to see here that in the Old Testament, when God established culture, he said, my relationship, you person to person, is so important here. And so even in here, he wants people to know, look, don't kill each other. That's important. But he says more about it even in the Old Testament. Genesis chapter 9, verse 6, he says this, If anyone takes a human life, that person's life will also be taken by human hands. Now, Let's pause for just a second. Um, we're not speaking a message uh, on uh, capital punishment here, um, wherever you may stand. That's not necessarily where I'm going with this. I would more want to focus exactly on what the verse is saying about human life. And here's what it says right after that. Don't miss this. For God made human beings in his own image. Do you remember that in the Old Testament? That God made us in his image. And what he is saying there is that when I look down on people, what I see is a reflection of me. I see me in you. That's what he says. 
parents, when you see your kids and they do something that is just like you, and you go, well, I can see you and me. Maybe it happens more often like a third party, like myself sometimes. I look at your kids. I know your mannerisms. Some of them I'm looking at them right now. All right? Um, and your kids like, have the same mannerism, you know? Uh, one of your daughters will like curl up her mouth the exact same way that you do it, or they'll say something the exact same way. They would Why? Because they're creating your image too. They're created that way. They grow up that way. They learn that way. And God is saying, saying, I created you in my own image. There's nowhere in the Old Testament that we found that he created your dog or cat in his image. I don't care how much you love your dog and cat, okay? I mean, I know some of you got great dogs and cats. I see you on Facebook all the time. All right? But he created you differently. Differently. And so, God sees all human life as precious. Every single human life he sees that way. And God honors human life that way. Because he made you in your image. Listen, I've, said, I've, I've given this illustration. I don't know. It's on blue in the face many times. But, but the way you love your kid, you can start to understand the way God loves you. I was so excited Friday night because I learned the, the news that Zeb and Liz Newton are, are having a baby. They're pregnant. And, that's incredibly exciting. I mean, I, not only am I excited for them, uh, getting big hugs on Friday night, but you know, we had hit the point where uh, when Zeke was born, we did not have anyone in the, in the church pregnant. And I thought, well, that's not right. We need to have somebody pregnant. So I started to look out. Who, who do I need to talk to about this? Uh, who do I need to have a little conversation with? And you know, they, they saved me from some awkward conversations with some of you. So, so good. Plus, they're very committed to church growth. And not many people will go out and have a baby to help grow the church. So I appreciate that. But listen, here's the illustration I've used before. The day that baby, nine months or so from now, not quite how far you are along, nine months or so from now, when that baby comes out, they will love that baby in a weird, irrational, crazy way. It doesn't make any sense. And the baby next to him that's born in, in the room next to him, we don't care anything about. We care about that baby. Because that is my baby. That's just how it works. Every single one of the parents, you understand that's how it works. And God birthed every single one of us. He created and designed every single one of you. And he, he looks at you the same way. I don't care if you feel like you're junk today. I don't care if you feel like you're kind of recovering from life's, you know, as Marty shared with him, some of the things, that, the tragedies that have come on you. It may have been this morning that you, after two or three days, you jumped right back into your addiction before you came to church. I, I don't know what it looks like for you. But God still looks like and says, you are absolutely precious to me. I created you that way. I'm irrationally in love with you. It makes no sense to someone else why I would love you like that, but God says I do. And so it would make incredible sense that if God says, I love every single one of my creation that way, and I've designed you to relate to one another, why he would say, well, don't go and kill each other then. <laughs> that's, that's bad to do, to kill each other. It's, it's, it's rough times for everyone involved. Now, I would guess up till now, all of you are tracking with me. 
Nobody said, yeah, Tom, but, you know, I mean, sometimes you just have to do somebody in. I mean, nobody's thinking that here today, I, I would say. Um, in fact, you may not know, but according to recent uh, FBI statistics, the murder rate in the last 20 years has actually dropped nearly in half. Did you know that? 9.8 down to the high 9.4, or, or excuse me, the four-point highs. I say the, the highs because there's a little discrepancy in what number you choose on where the rate is today. So you can go with a 4-2 number, you can go with a 4-9 number, but about in half, that has dropped. That's pretty incredible today. With all the violence we see and the times we're telling our kids to get off that video game, or, um, but the murder rate has dropped significantly. Those are good things. Jesus, though, looks at this thing and he says, I agree with it, but I want to turn it upside down on you so that you really understand the meaning of the law. Not just don't do it, but here is why we don't do it. So Jesus, here in Matthew, New Testament, he's talked about this, he's asked about these type of things, and here's what he says. You've heard that our ancestors were told, you must not murder. If you commit murder, you're subject to judgment. We just read about that. But I say, if you are even angry with someone, you are subject to judgment. Whoa, wait a second. If you call someone an idiot, you are in danger of being brought before the court. And if you curse somebody, you're in danger of the fires of hell. Now, I don't know about you, but if I'm somebody who is following the Jewish law very, very well, including the Old, uh, the Old Testament uh, commands here that we've been walking through, and then Jesus throws this in, I'm pretty ticked. I mean, this is a tough one. That Je- I mean, Jesus has just basically said, I want to expand this definition of what we're talking about here to a broader level. And as I expand this definition, chances are I've just pulled every single one of you into it. But Jesus goes that way. Raka. That's the word for idiot. Have you ever called somebody Raka? I mean, have you ever gone out and said, you Raka? Yeah, I, we don't use that word, right? Uh, we might say something, well, you're as dense as a rock. But that's as close as we get to Raka. Raka. What is, that is a word that Jesus uses. It's an Aramaic word that he uses here. And what is it actually saying here? The Bible translations, most of them translate, if they don't say Raka, they say idiot in there, right? I guess it's a pretty good word to put in there. Let me tell you, though, what the actual word means. The definition is another word we know. It's the word empty. That's what it means. And so you can see how Bible translators, when they're putting this word in there, it doesn't have the same punch if you say, if you call your brother empty. Because we don't, we don't speak that way. You know, when you got angry, you've probably never called somebody empty. Um, that doesn't make any sense, right? They would look at you and, and think you're foolish. <laughs> but here's what the word meant. They would have understood it. Raka, empty, it means vain or worthless. Now we start to get it. That when you turn to somebody and you call them raka, when you call them vain, when you call them, you're worthless. That's a deeper insult. A worthless, listen to the word, it means you have no worth. That's a harsh thing. In fact, every week it seems like we're sharing with somebody who's battling some just some inner voices or some depression or things that, you know, just the results of things in their life. And what they are making themselves believe is that they are worthless. And we're saying, no, there's tremendous value 
God loves you like we've just said. God has great purpose for your life. We're not necessarily walking through that in this message, but it's certainly in God's word. There's no way you're worthless. Could you see how now Jesus is saying, if I bring value to your life, if God brings value and purpose to your life, why would we ever turn to somebody and call them worthless? Now sometimes we use names and words that we don't necessarily mean it when we say it. But it doesn't seem like Jesus is saying one is one and one is the other. He said, look, when you get upset, when you get angry, and you turn to somebody and you just say, look, you're worthless. You have no value and no meaning, no worth in your life. Jesus is actually comparing that. He's actually saying, how is that much different than murdering somebody? Now, in a court of law, obviously, very, very different. But Jesus is saying that in my father's eyes, it's the same. It's the same. So what is he really saying at the end? What's more, we're called to celebrate life. That's what we're called to do. In fact, a lot of times, we live in the three zones that I talked about before, and let me give you a different label. We live in a zone where we are tracking, following God's will, doing exactly what God says to do because we've read it in God's word, he's ministered to us. Over here, we're like, we're doing nothing. I mean, for God, we know what God wants us to do, and we're just like, I'm out. You know, I, this, that's too much for me. But a lot of us, we live in this neutral zone in the middle. And you know what this neutral zone, the best question, or the, the, the question that's asked the most, is that bad? Is it wrong? Can I not do that? Is that sin if I do that? And we live here. And we grow up here. And we dwell here. And there's a better question to ask. The question that we should be asking is, is not what the neutrals don't often ask, but the question is, is this what God wants for me? Is this the best I have to offer with who God has designed me to be? Is there more that God would call me to do and be? And what Jesus is saying here is, listen, you didn't murder? Great. That's really, really good because God does not want you to murder. But there's so much more that God has called you to in your relationship with other people. He's called you to celebrate life. He's called you to look at somebody and speak and breathe life into that person. He's calling you to look at them and say, you, you are really good at this. Or, I'm so glad we got to spend some time together. Or, or whatever it may come up. But you celebrate life. And the flip side, Jesus is saying, we don't take away life. We don't take away life in any way, shape, or form. And when we turn to somebody and we call them worthless, we're robbing them of life. Because all they have to do is walk home and start believing it. And we've stolen something away from them. Christians, I really believe this is something for us, that we could just ramp it up. If we were to walk out of here today and say, I'm going to celebrate life, I'm going to speak life, here's things that will happen. The way you talk to people will change just like that. That's a given. The way you think about serving and caring for one another and going the, kind of the extra mile for somebody, that will change. You'll start to have more stories and testimonies of when you did that. Your Facebook posts will change. You will, you will not be complaining and whining as much on Facebook. That's, that's just the bottom line. They will change. And we'll be breathing and speaking life into people. And guess what? And this is the most important thing. The day will come when somebody you're close to, or maybe you're not even close to them, maybe you just know them or you ran into them, but they will want to know something about your life. And 
you have the opportunity to speak Jesus Christ into them. And one day you'll be able to share the testimony of what God did because you celebrated and spoke life when they come to you and they say, look, I became a Christian. I received that into my life. And you know, a big part of it was because you know, I saw John do it. I saw Mike do it. You know, I saw Patrick do it. And it was, it was kind of infectious. And I got around them and I learned more and more about the source of that. And I just decided I can't go another day without having that in my life. That's how important this business that Jesus is talking about is. It very literally is a difference between somebody knowing God for eternity or not knowing God for eternity and how we speak life into them. So we're going to pray for you on that. Because if you're like me, I get frustrated sometimes. I get angry sometimes. Is that okay for your pastor to say? And there are times in that when my first thought is, I'm not on the subway life. <laughs> That's not what I'm thinking about. And so this morning, it very well may be, God has already talked to you about it. He said, time to transform your life. Time to surrender something more into my hand. Why would we walk out of here and want to be defined as not celebrating life? And so let's go to the Lord on that and, and ask him for help. Father, we need you. We need you on this issue. Because we have so bought in, Lord, to just saying, well, I'm only human. And allowing ourselves to get away with all kinds of things, Lord, that you say, that's, that's not what I designed you for. And you designed us to celebrate life. And Father, yes, physically, you do not want us to take somebody's life. Terrible. But Father, through your Son, you taught us something even deeper and broader to say, celebrate life. Don't take away life. Never let somebody believe they're worthless by something you said or did. Build them up. And so, Father, today, that just may be something, or I, it just may be something that a lot of people sitting out of here and they would say, that, I'm weak at that. I'm just not very good at that. And they might, I don't know, Lord, they might walk through their life and say, well, I'm not very good at it, so I don't have to do it. But you said, I will transform you. I will breathe my life into you, my spirit into you, and before you know it, you're going to be incredible with this. But it's going to take a step of surrender. If that's you today, could you just do it? Can I give you just a few seconds to speak to God your own words, however you want to say it? You doesn't need to be any special prayer language. Just speak it to Him. I'll give you these few seconds. Go ahead and do that. is that this body of believers here at Wendover Hills, as we go out from here today, that it would just be, become so evident to people. They would say, that, that church just keeps speaking life into people. It doesn't mean we agree with everything everybody's doing out there, but we still keep speaking life, celebrating life, lifting them up. And Lord, ultimately this is what we're praying for, that you would use this body of believers in our words, in our actions, the way we serve, what we do, you would use us to lead people to you. That they would surrender their life in the name of Jesus Christ to you. And they become Christians because of our witness, because we got really serious about this life thing. And so lead us that way. Give us testimonies in this week. We pray that in your son's name.